0: Welcome to the WCAPS Five podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies, and grow together. VIVE, vision, impact, voice, engagement
1: i think we should get started so travis um i'm going to turn it over to you and i just want to say thanks to um everyone for joining uh this uh this um this this webinar and glad there was so much interest uh in this and we hope to be doing a lot more of these so travis i'm gonna turn it over to you if you want to take it over
2: Sure, no problem. Thank you very much, Bonnie. <clears throat> and thank everyone who has um, expressed so much interest um, in this topic. Really glad and excited that we could get this organized. And, um, you know, I-, I would just start by saying one of the reasons that I wanted to do um, this and thought it was important is because uh, of a few different things. One, as an alumni of the uh, of the International Affairs Fellowship, uh, a former term member at the Council on Foreign Relations. It's also um, a sphere of opportunities um, and great people. And then additionally, um, I know of the, tr- the great treasure and brilliance in groups like WCAPs, um, in communities of color, uh, and my sincere uh, knowledge and belief that any field in which women of color uh, are absent um, is 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 worse off uh, for that for that absence, and so this desire to make um, the IAF and CFR programs uh, more more make to make people more aware of it, to increase their diversity and inclusion, but also to connect the WCAPS community uh, to a, a, a different sphere uh, of kind of opportunities and awareness. Um, than we may have had, than we may have had previously, and so that's really the impetus for what this call is all about. And uh, I hope that you all will have questions. I, I have received some of your questions um, in advance, which I will try to address uh, in the period in which I'm speaking. Uh, and then maybe from here we could turn it over to Victoria and Janine. If you guys want to make uh, any type of opening comments to the group, sure. So. Uh-
3: I was just going to talk about the fellowship program, is that okay, Travis?
2: Yeah, I think that's perfect.
3: That's great. Um, And then I'm going to turn it over to Victoria. Uh, Thank you again, all of you, for joining us uh, today for this CFR Fellowships Information Session. I am Janine Hill, CFR Director for Fellowship Affairs, and I'm joined by my Deputy Director, uh, Victoria Harlan. A special thank you to uh, one of our former fellows, Travis Atkins for coordinating this session, as well as to uh, Ambassador Jenkins for her support. I think we have Miriam Safi on the on the line. Yes, Miriam, are you also, there?
4: Yes, I'm also great. here.
3: <laughs> One of our current international affairs. That's great news. Uh, as, as some of you know, the Council on Foreign Relations is an independent membership organization. Gosh and are dedicated to being a resource for various constituencies, such as government officials, educators, and executives. CFR maintains a diverse membership, convenes meetings to discuss major international issues, publishes Foreign Affairs, the magazine, provides analysis on world events on our website, and supports a studies program that fosters research. DFR also awards a number of visiting fellowships each year. Today, we'd like to highlight several of these fellowship programs that are geared for mid-career professionals who focus and have a deep interest in foreign policy. Each program has specific eligibility requirements and offers a competitive stipend. The application deadline is October 31st. Um, I'd like to start with our flagship program, the International Affairs Fellowship, uh, which was launched in 1967. Its goal is to provide a transformative experience for its fellows. Those in academia uh, or the private sector will spend a year in government, and those in government will work in a scholarly information, a scholarly atmosphere, free from operational pressure, writing and reflecting on issues uh, that they would like to publish. The mission is to create a set of scholar practitioners and to give each fellow a set of experiences that are rewarding when they return back to their home base or if they decide to go in another direction. Over the years, fellows have worked at a wide range of issues. I'm gonna give you some examples, but it's not limited to these digital terrorism, military interventions, and proxy warfare, U.S. career relations, sports diplomacy in Africa, U.S. competitiveness and trade, and many others. And these fellows have in place at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, as well as a number of organizations, such as the World Bank, the Aspen Institute, Harvard University, Many think tanks, you know, including, of course, Brookings and uh, the Council on Foreign Relations. Former fellows include some of our most uh, known ones, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Samantha Power, the current Dean of the Elliott School of International Affairs at GWU, Reuben Brigadier II, former West Point Professor and Program Director Dr. Ike Wilson and, as noted earlier, of course, Travis Atkins. CFR awards approximately 10 of these IAFs annually. The duration of the program is 12 months, and we award a stipend of $100,000. The program has experienced tremendous growth over the past 52 years. I'd
5: like to turn it over now to Victoria, who will tell you about some of this uh, growth. Yes, fantastic. Well, we're thrilled to be here today, um, in addition to the... International Affairs Fellowship Program that Janine um, highlighted. We'd like to showcase three other International Affairs Fellowships, all overseas. So, if you're interested in spending some time in one of the following countries, I uh, can. Folks, sorry, can
1: folks please? Can, sorry to interrupt. Can folks please turn off, turn down, um, or mute their phones if they're not speaking? Uh, thank you. Sorry. Go ahead.
5: Great. Thank you so much. Um, So we've got three overseas programs, again, if you're interested in spending some time in Japan, Canada, or India, please um, take a look at these uh, opportunities because they're they're just fabulous. So the first one is our International Affairs Fellowship in Japan sponsored by Hitachi Limited. We've had this program since 1997, have had a wonderful partnership with, again, our funder, um, Hitachi Limited. And we've sent a cadre of American professionals, it's a total of 80 since 97, um, to Japan to study and work on US-Japan relations. The program from the get-go has really been for those without substantial prior experience in Japan. So for many, going to Japan through the IEF program is the first time they're going to the country. Um, Knowledge of Japanese is not a requirement at all. Many, in fact, tend to take some classes when they're in Tokyo during their fellowship year. Um, So it's a fun learning adventure for them. Uh, The duration of this program is between 3 and 12 months. Uh, The the tenure is proposed by the applicants and their applications. Um, And our awardees receive a competitive stipend which is awarded in yen. Um, And also each recipient receives a travel grant of $5,000 to help them get to Tokyo and then of course return back. And if they're interested in doing some in-country travel, they can certainly use the funding to do so. So a couple of examples of placements where our International Affairs Fellows in Japan have spent their fellowship 10 years. One has been at the US Embassy in Tokyo. Um, Another has been the University of Tokyo. We also have placed a number of our Fellows at the uh, Research Institute of Economy, Trade and Industry. Uh, We call it RIETI. Um, And various projects have been worked on during, uh, during the years. Folks have looked at the impact of Japan's aging demographics, which was really interesting. Um, Another project looked at U.S.-Japan security partnerships um, along with Japan-ASEAN economic business relations. The second program we'd like to highlight is our International Affairs Fellowship in Canada. It's sponsored by Power Corporation of Canada, a relatively new program launched um, in 2016 Um, Through the fellowship, we select um, one to two mid-career U.S. professionals coming from a wide range of backgrounds. It could be academia, business, government, international organizations, not profits. And and our selected recipients spend anywhere between six and 12 months um, hosted by a Canadian institution. They are deepening their knowledge of Canada and really working on U.S.-Canada relations. the program awards a stipend of 95000 for a period of 12 months. Of course, it's prorated if the duration is less than 12 months. And all of our fellows receive a modest travel allowance that helps them relocate up to Canada. Our inaugural fellow worked on Arctic security issues and she was based at the University of Ottawa, just so folks can have a little bit of a sense of what our, our former fellows have worked on um, when they did this fellowship. And then our second fellow foc- focused on trade issues while she was at York University. Um, and this month we're really excited to have our two newest fellows going up to Canada Um, One is going to be working on Canada's innovation, trade and investment strategies, Um, and the second fellow will be focusing on how businesses in Canada and the U.S. can can more effectively work together. So we've had a nice range of various projects that have been put forward. And then lastly, um, we have an International Affairs Fellowship in India, um, thanks to a grant contributed by Bharti. So this is our newest program, it was launched last year, also geared for mid-career U.S. professionals coming from from a wide range of backgrounds. Uh, The program is really designed for those who have had little or no prior experience in India. So similar concept to what we have with the Japan um, along with the Canada fellowships. For the India program, we select uh, between one and four fellows each year. And each one spends any, <coughs> excuse me, anywhere between three and twelve months conducting research and, and work in India. We award a stipend of ninety thousand for the twelve months, again prorated if the duration is less, along with a travel grant. And our new class of fellows—we're really excited. Um, one is starting this fall.
2: Um, And the others
5: are are starting later in the winter, Um, so we'll have one fellow who will be based at Carnegie, India, and the other two at the Observer Research Foundation, so we're really excited about that. Um, Again, we're thrilled to showcase some of these wonderful fellowship opportunities, great for professional development, or as Janine mentioned, uh, an opportunity that really can help you launch into a new space that you've thought about, but we're not quite certain how to get to. These are definitely wonderful platforms to to accomplish that. We'd love for, for Travis and Miriam to talk about their fellowship experiences. And Travis, um, you were, I think, about ten years ago, uh, going through the program. So maybe maybe you could briefly share some of some of your highlights first, and then we'll turn it over to Miriam to talk about her year.
2: No problem. I uh, I don't appreciate the emphasis on the length of time that it's been, but I will start uh, and then turn it over to Miriam, as you guys have suggested. So a few things that I wanted to share um, were particularly about the journey um, towards uh, receiving the fellowship, how I approached uh, the application process, and the kind of strategies that um, I have been, um, that I utilized, but it, and many of them are not actually from me. Many of them are kind of strategies that have been passed down from other I, I, IAF alum that were before me. And so this kind of comes from a long chain of folks who've been successful in uh, in obtaining the fellowship. And I think the first thing I would say is we're now in September and I believe the the deadline for this year is sometime in October, if that's correct. Mm -hmm. But I say all that to say that sometimes folks find out on a call like this and then they try to rush um, in an application, but I actually spent an entire year kind of working on uh, the proposal that I had, doing research um, around what kind of topics had been successful in that arena um previously and trying to meet with as many people as i could who had done the fellowship or were a part of the council on foreign relations community uh in one way shape form or fashion uh one thing i will say um and i know that this doesn't have an actual impact on whether you get the fellowship or not but i also was uh, a term member of the council on foreign relations at the time and so that's partly a plug for the term member uh, fellowship, uh, excuse me, the term member uh, membership as well, but also to say I had another avenue by which I could get to know various people um, inside the council um, and also have them know who I was and have them know uh, a little bit about the quality uh, of my experience uh, and background. And then the second thing I would say Is about the topic that you select, because I think there are some themes that you see every year. You know, you always see something about nuclear proliferation. You always see something about um, um, issues of foreign assistance reform, things like that. And so one of the things that I noticed was there weren't very many people um, each year who were focused on Africa. Uh, And I also realized that even if there were multiple applications uh, that were Africa focused, I never saw a year at that time where there were more than two people in a group who were focusing um, on similar continental issues. And so in my mind, whether it was true or not, I said, well, look, I don't necessarily have to have the best proposal. So maybe I just developed the best proposal on Africa by, by those numbers and by that, uh, by that logic. And then it was, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I have a, a strong background in, but how does that relate to what the fellowship um, is for, right? And so how do I find an urgent foreign policy issue on the continent that I'm experienced in, that I'm passionate about, that I'm well-placed to do, and that also has some uh, national security relevance to the, uh, to the United States. And I say that to say this, um, for people to be careful and to be mindful that they are doing something that they're interested in and passionate about and qualified for, rather than giving more emphasis to what you think the council wants or what you think will get you Uh, the fellowship. And so uh, I decided to focus on Sudan and in the fellowship year that I was that I was coming into. It was a particularly uh, relevant and urgent matter because they were in the last year of the peace agreement that actually led to the separation of South Sudan from Sudan. And so literally I started the fellowship and the negotiations and all the drama around that was going on. And literally, I ended the fellowship standing in Juba, South Sudan for their Independence Day celebrations. And so I didn't really have to make um, an overemphasis on the timeliness of it because it was clear that this was a nation that could either go back to civil war or break apart, creating either another set of conflicts and also creating the newest nation Um, In the world. And so I think that urgency was there. The U.S. had heavily heavily been involved in that. And so that was there. Um, And then I think the other thing is to look at um, who you want to be someone that is a mentor to you in this process, whether it be a fellow um, alum or another person who is an expert in your background. And that is about the search for who will be the folks to write your Letters of, uh, of recommendation. And so I would also uh, encourage people to put that on some type of matrix, because you want it to be somebody who knows you well and can speak to your background. Um, you may also want it to be someone who is maybe a thought leader or an expert in the topic which you will be studying. And then for me, I also said, well, does this person also have a connection to the uh, Council on Foreign Relations or to the um, International Affairs Program. And so essentially the the majority of my writers, not only um, were people that I knew that could speak well about me personally and professionally, they were also experts in the field. And all of them were members of the Council on Foreign Relations. And two of them were alumni of the International Affairs Fellowship. And again, I'm not saying that that has to be the case. I'm only trying to show you that I was strategizing all the way down to the weeds in terms of the interconnections between what I wanted to do, who was saying that I was qualified to do it, what their background was, and how they related uh, to the the council. Uh, And I would just say that this comes up in every phone call I've done with uh, Um, Janine and and Victoria. And one of the things that they always preach to us is that it is better to have a compelling, powerful, warm and thoughtful letter from someone that they've never heard of than to have a lukewarm letter from Barack Obama or Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or whoever it is uh, that you think would give you an advantage simply because Um, They are a big name. And so those were some of the ways that I sought to go after the fellowship, Um, the length of time and kind of intensive personal interaction I had with folks to try to to get it, Um, the way that I tried to write my proposal, which we can talk about uh, when we get to the Q&A, and then also the focus that I put on the kinds of people that I wanted to support my candidacy um, in terms of letters of recommendation, so I'll stop there, and turn it over to Marion.
4: Thanks, Travis. Uh, can folks hear me? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. Excellent. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Travis, it's a great kind of introduction, and uh, and and you're. I echo a lot of what you say in terms of with the recommendations. Um, really, people who are you know who really can speak to your track record and know you well and can uh, and advocate for you so um, for me uh, first of all thank you to uh, to Victoria, Janine, Bonnie, Travis, all of uh, and all of you on the call for um, for you know I, I'm still in the fellowship program though it's wrapping up for me in October um, at the end of the, actually at the end of this month so um, so I'm kind of reflecting on A year now, Um, and it's been just an incredible experience. Uh, A bit about me, I've been in the Foreign Service for about close to a decade. Um, So timing wise, I mean, pre-Foreign Service, I did the Peace Corps, I did AmeriCorps, so I'd done some grassroots work, but um, I was very interested in kind of looking into the advocacy space, the human rights advocacy space. So um, that was something, you know, this year has given me the ability to look at um, some of the work that we do in foreign policy, but from a different perspective. And so that was sort of what drew me to the program, uh, to the CFR program. And I think the way it's designed, at least the international affairs program, where people in government can kind of get exposure to the world outside, whether it's philanthropy or private sector advocacy, um, and folks that are uh, in, um, you know, uh, outside government can go in to the department of state or commerce or treasury. So I think it's a really interestingly designed program. And uh, I've been really grateful um, for me, uh, I was placed this year in New York uh, at the Human Rights Foundation, which does um, essentially you know it's a platform for activists that are uh, working to an um, in, in authoritarian regime sort of pushing for freedom and democracy so uh, so there were a few things that I did this year that I was really excited about, and I was able to connect uh, what Travis mentioned the CFR of our term member program. Um, and and you know some of these networks, but there's also the fellows uh, at CFR themselves. So there was a Saudi dissident, Manal Sharif. Uh, she was one of the people who was involved in the um, in lifting the driving ban in Saudi Arabia. So she posted a YouTube video back in 2011, and there was sort of this momentum building. And uh, but right after the Mohammed bin Salman lifted the ban, he imprisoned the co-campaigners. And so Manal decided to. Uh, we worked with her. Um, to build this kind of road trip across the United States to raise awareness that actually overlapped with uh, the civil rights movement. So, Alabama, Georgia, uh, we sort of stopped strategically to highlight the social justice struggles in both uh, Saudi Arabia and the US, the parallels, but also ending actually at CFR, uh, well, eventually culminating outside the Saudi embassy in DC. But CFR played a role, uh, the senior fellow, Megan Stone, uh, uh, that works in the Women in Foreign Policy program. Hosted a um, the night before the, the the sort of big end hosted a, a dinner where we invited members of you know the foreign relations committee journalists CFR members so the cool thing I think for me about the program is the year to sort of you know, look at, look at an issue from, or a set of issues from a different perspective, but also to be able to tap into some of the wisdom and knowledge of the broader CFR community as well. Um, and on September 18th, and this actually conflicts, I think, with uh, Victoria and your your the IAF uh, reception, there's a, uh, an activist from Hong Kong, Denise Ho, who was also part of the Human Rights Foundation network that I met in Oslo, that I connected to Megan, and now she's doing uh, a panel on the extradition bill and how the fact that it's been lifted doesn't necessarily mean the struggle is over because a lot of uh, activists are concerned about the first down. So it's been um, for me, it, you know, just really exciting. Uh, I've been able to do other things like I, a friend of mine is a filmmaker She's making a documentary, so I was able to say yes to doing uh, having her shadow me on some of the advocacy work I could do on the side. I never could have done that if I didn't have this year uh, kind of a year to sort of um try something new and i think uh in terms of my you know point i'm going back to the state department this summer and when i go back i have this whole new set of networks different perspectives uh, and i think it's it'll really enrich my career moving forward uh, because i'll continue to just draw upon uh the the experience i think uh similar to what travis said it's something that kind of stays with you and so um it's really i think especially if you're at a moment in your career where you're kind of looking for um, just, you know, to press pause and kind of look at something in a new way. I think it's a really valuable experience. So I've been I've really indebted to the, to the year and to Victoria, Janine, and throughout the process, they've been helpful. I mean, if you have, you know, I, in the beginning, I had one idea and then I had to kind of switch and then they helped sort of navigate the process. So I think uh, it's just, it's a, it's a gift. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, and so, so I'll, I'll stop there because I know there's probably a lot of questions.
5: Well, th- thank you, Travis and Miriam, for your wonderful highlights of both of your fellowship experiences. Should we open it up for, for questions and,
3: and answers? Hopefully answers.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Let's do it.
1: Um, just very. I know Sylvia. I, I know Sylvia wanted to say a few things from her perspective. I don't know if you're on the line, Sylvia Mishra.
4: I guess not. Okay. Hi, Bonnie. Sorry. Uh, it just took a bit of time to unmute. Uh, I just wanted to um say that um, that was a great overview of the fellowship. I uh, know some of the people who have uh, done the India fellowship uh, before and uh, if anyone had any questions in particularly focused on the India fellowship I would be happy to answer them. I know uh, Victoria mentioned that two of the uh, upcoming fellows are going to be based out of ORF. I have worked uh, at ORF in Delhi for three years, and I'm happy to uh, um, help uh, anyone navigate who is trying to uh, work uh, in Delhi on India, US bilateral issues. So uh, happy to answer questions on that.
3: Right, and and I'll just say too that you know Victoria and I are totally available to uh, you know we're reachable by email or by telephone uh, for questions that people might have as they're thinking this through, um, and we also have another person of our team who's who's sick today, but she's also available, Alexis Garvey. So anyway, but if anybody has any questions today, we're happy to address them.
5: Hi, this is um, Bumi Akintosho. Can you all hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hey, um, thank you all for the opportunity. I had a very quick question about um, time off. So if I understand it correctly, you would potentially take off three to 12 months to do the fellowship. Um, so I was wondering if you had any advice for um, maybe Clarence or anyone who's done the
4: fellowship, advice for how you approached your employer um, to have the conversation about
6: you know, your time away from work and doing this fellowship?
2: Sure. Um, hey, Bumi, uh thanks for your question. Okay. Um, the thing that I would say is it depends on how folks view the fellowship. And so I'm sure Miriam could speak to this, but many people who are in, say, DOD or USAID or the State Department are doing this as a kind of detail-oriented situation where they will go back to their employer. Uh, but myself and many others, actually use the fellowship as a launching pad and so when we leave we're quitting our jobs we're we're not mm-hmm. intending to go back and we're using the fellowship to really launch us into a different direction or mm-hmm. um, to a higher level and so I think um, up mm-hmm. until the time that I did it and, and thereafter uh, there has been this talk about kind of launching pad how do you Become an expert um, in the field of endeavor or the topic which you choose chosen for the fellowship. Um, How do you place yourself in situations where you're meeting with uh, thought leaders nationally and internationally, having a chance to publish yourself and become known as someone focused uh, specifically on your area of of expertise, as well as um, being in media, doing radio, doing television, uh, doing podcasts and things of that nature. And so for me, um, I was one of the people who were in that vein um and it 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 absolutely changed my life because one of the things that you'll realize is that um the power that it gives you so when i'm calling around asking to talk to various thought leaders uh high high level government officials and things of that nature um at that time you know they're not calling me back because i said i'm travis atkins they're calling me back because i said i'm with the council on foreign relations right And so you want to be able to use uh, the cachet that the institute or the the, um, council has been able to uh, gain for itself uh, to help you to do that. But I would also say if you are in a place uh, where you would like to come back um, or go back, um, I certainly would encourage folks um, to have that conversation because I think one of the things too is that you won't be the same after you do the fellowship, and you will bring back more uh, to the institutions um, where you're working if you do decide that going back um, is what is what you would like to do.
5: Mhm. Thank you so much. That's very helpful, Thanks.
6: Hi, many yes. you beautifully you
5: answered, go. Travis. Oh.
6: Sorry, so go ahead. Sorry. I can wait.
5: I just, wanted, I just wanted to chime in on one other point. Um, the question also referenced the three to 12 months. So it sounds like you might be interested in one of the overseas fellowships. And when we see, for example, folks coming from academia um, and... Um, they're interested in going to Japan or to India. Um, what they might do strategically is perhaps take the summer off, take those three months, and craft a proposal around that time frame, where they know that their project that they're tackling in whatever country they're they're hopefully going to be in is doable in that period of time, and it'll still be a professionally. Um, a professional development experience for them and so the three months for many tend to be uh, again those who have professional personal commitments back in the US the summer months the three month tenure tends to be quite doable for most to take off and that's similarly to six months a full year it's a little bit more difficult so again either you're in a position where Your home organization um, is very supportive of you taking that year off and knowing that you will come back uh, with a greater network from the year, Um, you'll be able to bring back a lot to the home base, or again, you pivot into a new space that you're really excited about. Thank you. Um, I, hi, my name is MJ Crawford, and I had another question um, for our panelists. Um, well, first my question, or and yeah, first my question is, um, what is the specific product expected of fellows? Is it a traditional research paper? Is it something that's published? Is it a book? Could it be something a little more creative, like? using the stipend to make a documentary around a specific policy issue. Um, and then my second question was specifically for Travis. Um, you mentioned you use this as sort of like a career launching pad to kind of switch careers, perhaps. Could you talk a little bit more in depth of like what you used to do and how the fellowship helped you do, I guess, what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you.
2: Sure. Yeah. I'll just speak briefly to to both those points and, and turn it over to, to Miriam I think that um um oh, excuse me. can you remind me of the first part of the question I got so tuned into your second part
5: products. Del- about, about, about products
2: yes so others can speak to this as well but for me in my experience with folks that I was in the fellowship with the product quote unquote ranged from all over the place some people did not have a specific concrete deliverable that they produced at the end of their fellowship. It really was just about them being in the spaces that they were in, convening, writing articles, being in the media, learning and growing their careers. Other people came in proposing a book. Other people came in and there was a a, a woman in my um, cohort who actually did use her fellowship year to produce a, a film, which actually ended up being an Oscar nominated film in fact. And so all of the things that you ask about um, I have uh, I have seen um, I've seen done Uh, me specifically I would say that um, i I not not quite that I misspoke because there are people who use it for a transition I think maybe boost would have been a better word for me to use because I certainly didn't leave the field of international affairs I just think that I was seen differently so it's no different in some ways than a person who works at a job who doesn't have a master's degree, they go out and get a master's and they go out into the world expecting more than they had before they um, achieved that that milestone or before they reached a certain level uh, of notoriety. And I think the other thing in terms of transition is also remember that you then have a whole year to talk to people and to decide where you want to go. And so in some ways, the transition begins the day you start Um, your fellowship. Um, And I'm I'm trying to be as specific as I can on that because I know that that element is sometimes the thing that makes people feel a little bit uneasy. I had friends who said, hey man, this sounds kind of risky. And I didn't think of it that way at all because I was very familiar with uh, the Council on Foreign Relations and I had seen, and I encourage you all to research the alumni list of folks who've done this fellowship. And the things that they've gone on to do after because there's no way you read that list and come away shaky about whether or not this is a a thing that can boost your trajectory
3: well i just like to jump in and say that um you know i i agree with you on both points travis in terms of the deliverables there are no deliverables really that are required but it's really driven by each person who applies to this program. And, you know, if their dream is to be writing a report or to write op-eds or to do a documentary or to, it's a great opportunity to do it, but it's not required by us. We're not going to grade you or, (laughs) or say you can't fellowship because you don't have a deliverable. It's really, you know, it's all driven by you and the experience you're going to have uh, and hopefully uh, will you know make you grow in, in the area that you uh, you want
5: to uh, focus on. Where're we're mm-hmm. ideally, what we're doing every year is we're investing in the best possible talent pool out there that's interested in these opportunities. And so whether that means getting that hands-on policymaking experience in government for the first time ever in one's professional career or taking a step back and really focusing on lessons learned from the field and diving deeper into thinking, researching, writing, publishing, networking, that's really what we're investing in, all of our fellows having these rich and productive fellowship experiences.
4: Yeah, and to to echo Oh, sorry. To run the
3: uh, the council on formulation, he really feels that this is the training ground for the next generation of future leaders. And so that's why he really really supports this program.
4: Yeah, and to echo what Janine and uh, Victoria said and Travis, um, you know, it was funny, my, one of my first questions, I think, to both of you in the beginning was, you know, what's the deliverable, like, what's the, so going in, I kind of was very type A, like, you know, what, what's the product, and, uh, and I think not having it at the outset is actually such a powerful thing, because now, you know, I've been able to sort of say yes to things like uh, this documentary, for example, but, been shadowing me for the last six months, and it's a pretty stressful thing to to have being, you know, but having this, uh, the, the ability and the time, um, and so I've been kind of taking risks in ways that I wouldn't normally um, have had that latitude to do, and so um, it's nice in a sense, but I think a lot of people uh, come out of the year with different sort of, um, I mean, it's definitely personally, professionally enriching, And there, and there's products and deliverables and other things that manifest, whether it's during the the year itself or maybe sort of in the future like a you know a book manuscript that comes from the research that you've done or the interviews or the contacts that you've made so um so i think in some ways it's kind of nice and unusual but really um can be really enriching that there isn't uh, a a script i guess for this
6: hi my name's akuto ajolano i am a student a phd student at the university of pennsylvania i have a Um, question in terms of background, um, in terms of uh, applicants who are applying. So my background is in academia, but I also work at the VA. I do um, research policy, but I never worked um, in foreign affairs or foreign relations. So I'm just trying to figure out how do I Not so much myself, but in terms of how do I um, boost my application so that I'm seen as a viable candidate, although my previous work has never been in foreign affairs or foreign relations, like although I did um, global health research in India and Guatemala, I have that background in terms of research and and policy, but I don't have a background in foreign affairs or foreign relations. Um, And so a quick question back to you, Um, what is your Ph.D. focused on? So I have a Master's in Public Health and Master's in Environmental Science, and my Ph.D. is in Demography, so it's like the Statistical Studies of Populations.
5: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, those are all certainly within the foreign policy, within that foreign policy umbrella. Um, And then um, how far along are you into your Ph.D. program?
6: I'm um, just finished the second year. Um, I'm sorry. I'm starting my second year of my program, but I'm at a place where I do want to take time uh, about a year off to um, get professional experience because although I'm getting the skill sets, but I'm not getting the connections and the work that I'm really interested in, and that has to do with um, foreign work, and, I mean, foreign affairs work. And so, my for example, I'm taking upon my own to, like, learn Arabic, learn Mandarin, although these are not – Things are required in my program, but I know that I don't want to be a typical academic demographer. I actually want to work professionally in the field.
5: Right, right. And uh, how long have you have you worked with the VA?
6: I've been to VA for three years. I do clinical research and also do research policy, and I work directly with veterans.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very interesting, and so when you think about like hearing about Travis's experience, Miriam's experience, and our um, general overview of the different opportunities, do you envision using the fellowship for a full year on um, spending it? maybe embedded within the State Department or another government agency where you're kind of getting that hands-on policy-making experience, is that, is that kind of what
6: you have in mind for, yes. for the year? Yes, I have that in mind. And I also have done um, five research projects in India, so I was also thinking about India as a possibility since I'm very familiar mm-hmm. with working there. So I'm looking at those two options, but I have that in mind to so dedicating a year to building a new skill set.
2: Mm-hmm. i would uh, mm-hmm. If I could just say, I would encourage anyone who um, has a similar situation um, as you um, with you know substantive background um, in terms of your education and some of your experience as well as international um, to to really not be discouraged and to I would say go for it and the All reason right. why the reason why I say that is because there's almost no domestic issue that doesn't have a foreign policy analog, right? And so it doesn't all have to be nuclear. If it's health, it can be global health. If it's education, it can be global education. If it's whatever it is, it can be that in terms of um, the way that the US engages with the world. And just to give you a quick example, uh, a good friend of mine by the name of Curtis Valentine um, came into the fellowship after me and he wanted to focus on education and U.S. education as a national security issue. And so he basically was able to use his domestic education background. And it just so happened at that time, the the, uh, the council had a lot of talking and reports being written around this issue of our domestic education as key to our economy, as key to us being able to comp- compete on a global stage and he built his whole proposal around that obtained the fellowship and carried out that kind of work and so uh there's nothing new under the sun and so any of the doubts that you guys have it'd be great to to kind of ask some of those questions because i would bet that there's already someone who's came through the fellowship and done exactly what you're not quite sure is possible so i would just add that note as as an as an encouragement
6: i appreciate that
5: Absolutely, absolutely. And Janine and I are always available to um, speak with potential applicants by telephone um, at any point in the in the competition cycle if there are. Uh, more pointed questions about kind of the, the right way to format the year, the project, and so forth. So uh, please don't hesitate to follow up with us if, if other questions come come up in your mind after this phone call.
6: Okay. And will we get an email with your contact information or with yes, that? Yes,
3: well, we'll, uh, we'll pass that. Uh, what's the best way to, to go to you,
1: Bonnie? Yes, you can pass that to me and I'm, I'm, I'll i share that with uh, the members, particularly the ones who are on the okay. call. OK,
6: thank you. Yeah.
1: Travis, and I don't know if anyone's going to I know, Travis, there were some questions that you had. I don't know if you want to address some of those.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, so sure. I pass um, on, agree.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, I would I would ask this to uh, to Janine and, and Victoria as well. I rec- I believe that there is an age range for the IAF Fellowship, is that correct?
3: Well, you know, we don't really talk about age, but we sort of talk about mid-career.
2: Okay, because when so now, I was there, there definitely was an age cap. So I just want to, <laughs> I just want to be sure. But the reason why so I long the,
3: not to do that anymore, and uh, there used to be an age range on the website, which uh,
2: yeah, exactly. Okay. So times have changed that quickly. But you're going in exactly the, the direction of the second half of the question, Janine. The reason I put age first is because there's a question as to what you all actually mean by mid-career. But
3: we want, you know. People that this fellowship can affect in the positive way, and not have someone who's going to work for the next year, or someone who you know is too young and just hasn't even really thought about a lot of the uh, direction for their life. And I think it's somewhere there in the middle, somewhere that someone has had some experience uh, in 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 a specific field and might want to take that. And you know, like you were talking about, you know taken in a different direction, but there has to be something there and, you know, it's somewhere between, I mean, I don't even want to say numbers, so somewhere, you know, it's mid-career, what we call it. Right.
5: So, the most successful candidates typically hold an advanced degree and anywhere between five and, let's say, ten years of work experience. So, that degree could be a master's. It mm-hmm. could be. Yeah, I mean, we see we see candidates applying uh, with a Ph.D. Let's say those who are assistant professors or associate professors. Um, now, of course, a Ph.D. is not a requirement, but uh, many of the successful candidates typically hold um, uh, M.P.H. or M.P.P. or M.A. degrees, J.D. degrees. Um, We see a wide range of of applicants, but at the same time, we see a lot of folks, let's say, who are coming from um, government backgrounds who've been either at state or treasury or the Pentagon for a decade, and they just have a bachelor's degree. So we don't have any, we don't have a checklist of like what degrees you have to, to have, but certainly at least a bachelor's.
2: Excellent. And I certainly want to prioritize people on the phone call, but uh, I do, there is one other question from online that we have, which I think would be very straightforward for uh, Janine and Victoria. Someone wants to ask the question about the health care benefits involved with the fellowship.
3: So uh, at this point, there are no health care benefits. You know, the person is considered an independent contractor. We give the stipend and that's sort of it. Uh, I wish we could do more, but we actually we just don't have the
4: funds.
2: Excellent. Um, and then, I guess with that, maybe we can go to other folks on the phone in the last few minutes that we have.
4: Hi there.
5: Hi. Hi. Can Hi. everyone hear me? Okay, yes. Great.
4: great. Well, my name is Charlyn, Charlyn Castor, and I have a question about the type of experience. Uh, thank you for the answers and information so far but I wanted to know within that five to ten years of experience
3: what does that typically look like and how would you say that previous
4: applicants that their experience has been maybe characterized is it more senior level within you know I know it's mid-career but if you could just be more specific about what types of skill sets or
6: experiences you're looking for be helpful, please.
3: I mean, I think it could be, you know, experience in an office, uh, you know, at the State Department or something like that. It could be uh, an assistant professor who's done some teaching. It can also be on the ground experience. We have a lot of people uh, from USAID who have spent, you know, several years on the ground working on something very specific. I, I don't think there's one uh, situation that they felt, what do you think, Victoria? No,
5: I mean, we cast a wide net every year when we're spreading the word about these opportunities. And so, with that said, we tend to see a lot coming from academia. Again, as Janine pointed out, they could be professors who've been teaching for five to ten years, or they could be scholars, um, research scholars at universities or think tanks. Um, we see um, every now and then military officers who are applying to use the fellowship to take a step back from their on-ground experience and maybe go to, to a think tank or a university to focus on lessons learned. Um, journalists? Yes, yes, we have journalists applying. Um, who've reported on, who've covered international news. We have a lot of uh, folks applying who want to take a year away from government, and so Miriam, for example, fits into that camp, um, and she's a foreign service officer. Um, We, every now and then, see some attorneys applying um, to use the fellowship to go into the U.S. government to work on, again, to work in the in the foreign policy uh, making arena, so it, it's it's quite uh, it, it, it's quite broad. Yes, we see a very diverse range of of applicants. Um, Janine pointed it out earlier. This applies very much to our flagship international affairs fellowship program. Um, the the transformational aspect of of the program and of the year, we're trying to identify um, rising stars in their their respective fields who are craving for an opportunity to to take a step back and to enter into a new space, a new dimension that will open up their horizons on so many different levels. Um, and so. It, it, it 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 varies every single application cycle
6: okay thank you so much for that
5: of course
2: anyone
6: else hi i have a good quick question how does one become a member prior to applying for the fellowship
2: so yeah go, that, to our website. That's oh,
3: go ahead go ahead check. go ahead no go ahead go to our website uh, where there's a section on membership um you know it it takes a little bit of time because you've got to find some people who will, you know, propose you and second you. Uh, but Travis, why don't you explain how you went about
2: it? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's just a simple matter of applying for the term membership program. And those parameters are are different from that of the IAF fellowship. Um, as Janine and Victoria shared earlier, that is a five-year program for essentially emerging leaders um, in the field of international Um, affairs. um, And I think that many, many, many of you would be absolutely fantastic for that program. And so I think that that speaks to a little bit of the dual purpose of this phone call, because if you're in a space where you don't quite feel you're ready for the IAF fellowship, two things, one, you probably are, so don't talk yourself out of it. And two, two, if you indeed do think that you are then you can still apply for the term membership program. And so I want you all to be uh, knowledgeable and aware of a range of opportunities inside the council, uh, not just um, the IAF. And so I think it's a fantastic idea to look at the term membership program. I also spoke to some of you all who are working on Capitol Hill because there's a CFR congressional program that engages staffers as well. Um, just various means to to be connected to this wonderful uh, institution and resource.
4: And one note on the term member program, there is an age range, I believe, for that one. Um, so I'm uh, in, also in the term member program. I think it's 30 to 36 is the age range. Yeah, when you can so, apply. Exactly. You, exactly. So you'd have to be at that age at the time. And I believe the deadline for that is end of December, or early January. Um, so it's a little bit um, further out.
5: Fantastic. Well, this has
1: been a wonderful call. Thank you so much for doing this. And and Travis, of course, thank you for arranging this. Um, And for everyone for taking the time to do this on on Monday, on a Monday. Um, So uh, we'll share the the, uh, information for emails to connect for any additional questions. And Mm -hmm. um, because I'm sure there will be some after the call. Um, and and like Travis, I encourage everyone to seriously consider applying. Or if you don't feel like you're ready, um, and as Travis said, you probably all can do it. But if you don't feel like you are ready, I think the term membership is also something to look into. Um, I think that's all I have. I don't know if anyone else has anything, any final things they want to say. Travis, anything else you want to say
0: before we? No,
2: end? thank you guys very much. Thank you to the Council on Foreign Relations and WCAPS. Uh, I'm here to support any and all of you um, who want to find additional information, um, and so please just consider me a resource.
1: Yes, and I also want to thank Travis, who is also on the WCAPS Advisory Council, so this is really great that you could do this for us. Travis, we appreciate it. Anytime and all the time. Thank you.
5: Fantastic. Right. We're deeply appreciative yeah. to everyone who who took the time to be here today. And again, thank you, Travis and Miriam, and thank you, Bonnie.
2: Thank you. So, thank you all so much.
1: Our pleasure. Okay. Okay.
2: Take care. Awesome.
1: Everyone,
0: have a nice Take day. Care. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things WCAPS, visit us at wcaps.org, or join us at an event in a city near you. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WcapsNet. Until next time, speak up, speak out, get engaged.